real joy for me to uh, bring to you the scripture today, but it's a, I will tell you, this is a challenging passage for me because I've been uh, taken up and I'm going to be thinking and teaching about something I know very little about and uh, little that you know about. So I'm going to struggle with this a little bit. So pray for me as I get this because it's a concept that I'm still learning. I'm thinking I know so little about this and you'll hear as we go through and understand it. So if I, uh, if I stumble and you'll th- don't throw a shoe at me, but you'll uh, be gracious <laughs> because this is a really complex complex topic today, uh, grieving the Holy Spirit. And as I went looking for information, as I studied this and went back to the Greek, and I, thought, I said to myself, self, I, I know what this says, but I, I don't get it. You ever been there? You read the Bible and you, you hear the words, but you go, Lord, I still don't get it. And so if you're at that I don't get it stage, uh, welcome to the Justin Baptist Church, because that's where we all are. We we all we want to be a learning community where we really want to not just assume that we know what we believe, but we want to learn more about what this means, what what it means for us as as believers, as as people. So so if you're struggling, uh, I want you to realize that all the time you're struggling, you're in the hand of God. And God's supporting that, and he knows our struggles. And therefore, he's interceding, and he's working on our behalf. Even though we don't know, he knows that we don't know. And therefore, as a master teacher, he's going to say, okay, I'm going to send my spirit to help you. Well, with that, this passage in particular, I want to make sure you don't misinterpret um, and go off in a direction because it's so easy to to uh, make Christianity a rule-bound, principle-bound, a proposition-bound. This is what you got to do. And I'm trying to introduce this idea that we have a relational hermeneutic, a, a way of reading the Bible that is about the connection that you have with Christ himself. And that's another pot of coffee we get into. But, but as we get into it, I want to go back real quickly. And you know this, but I don't want you to forget this. Because as we get into the story of, of Ephesians, the whole story, we go back to Ephesians 1. And do you remember what that's all about? Ephesians 1? As I have the slower machine here. Uh, Ephesians 1, 10, 2, 10, 3, 10. Remember those? What, what those are all about? Ephesians 1.10 is that God is doing something in the cosmos to integrate heaven and earth. He's bringing the world back together. There's no uh, separation from him. But in the administration of Christ, Christ is the head of all. And he's going to integrate heaven and earth. And then in chapter 2, he's going to integrate us. The fact that we are now incorporated through baptism by faith in Christ. We stand before the Holy Father completely forgiven. Without condemnation, without judgment. But the idea that we are born again, being dead in our sins, being transferred into the kingdom of light. He's now integrated us into a whole new realm of thinking. 
And that whole new realm of thinking has to do with the fact that as a saved person, I'm saved from the wrath of God, but I'm brought into the reconciled wonder of the Father who loves me without, without any judgment. But we move from a, this integration, and we move to this incorporation to the body of Christ. We move into the, the whole community, the institution of the church, Jews, Gentiles, free, slave, male, female. We're all coming before Christ as one. And in Christ, we are the community, the kingdom, the body of Christ. We do not walk independently, privately, with what I believe. We are a people of God a people of the Spirit, and we continue on the traditions of the apostles from the Old Testament on to the New Testament to CBC today. And that switch, that powerful switch, when in the middle of Ephesians you see God's Spirit is interceding for us so that that work of God, that workbench that is our human heart, is the Spirit at work in you and you and you and you and you and you and you. That when the Spirit of God comes in, there's something that takes place in the inner man. And that inner man is strengthened on the inside that you might know the depth, the height, the width, the length of everything that God is, that the fullness of God in Christ becomes your focus. And that focus is the wonder that he's praying for us because he knows we really need help there. And as he moves into chapter 1, 2, and 3, then he goes into chapter 4. Remember, these are non-believing pagan Gentiles, Ephesians, who come up through a, a, a worldview that is not Jewish. It doesn't have the revelation of a holy father. It has these little local pagan gods of their community. And so they have to learn, as every Gentile church, Romans, Thessalonica, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, all of them, as Gentiles, they don't know how to love at all. And so they're brought into a community of grace. They're brought into a community of covenant. They're brought into a community of this personal relationship where Christ is moving. And therefore, thank you. Therefore, as we move into this idea of chapter 4, he starts off, you need to be instructed if you're going to walk in a manner worthy of this God who's called you. You have been called, and therefore this calling to walk humbly with your Lord means that there's going to have to be a shift. And that shift is all about Romans 4. And, 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 and to keep in mind what that shift is about, we've been through this, that Gentiles and unbelievers... Uh, as new babes in Christ, they need to learn to grow in this whole new way of thinking called grace, called the kingdom, called the spirit, whatever you call it, in order that there's a spiritual formation. There's a transformation, not just an education. That There's a transformation in who you are and how you live and how you move, no longer as independent people, but you walk step by step with the Holy Spirit. And that's that's a, an unusual thing to communicate to a non-believer. I couldn't understand that. And a lot of Christians can't explain that. But this idea, this spiritual formation, this growth, means, Ephesians 4, it means putting off the old 
and then putting on the new. That shift, that transformation, that growth in Christ means that we've been changed in the attitude, Paul says, that you put off the old man, but in the spirit of your mind, in the attitude of your mind, of how you approach God, how you approach the Bible, how you approach life, everything is brand new because this is not the way it was. This is the way he's moving is to grow, to be Christ-like. And therefore, as we put off the old, as we put off the old, we move into that spirit of metanoia. Now that's the word we talked about before. There's a repentance, and that's not the meaning of the word. It just doesn't mean get rid of the old junk. This metanoia means that, uh, this one doesn't even work in house well either. Uh, this metanoia, do both of them work at the same time? You're double tapping, so you're double tapping. Oh, that's what I'm doing. Okay. I'll do one. Okay, I'll do one. <laughs> that metanoia means that there's a, there's a way of seeing things as God does. There you go. No worries. Uh, no worries, mate. Uh, this, it, it's the spirit of your mind. And so when Paul says, you just don't get education. It's not renewing your mind. And get this, it's not taking your mind and getting educated about the doctrine, about the Bible. It's not about what you think. It's about the spirit about what you think. And that's really different. And so you can have the information, you have perfect theology, but your heart may be out of sync. And that's why the tension for Paul says, don't, don't be confused. You put off the old, but it's a new spirit. It's this new approach to Christ, to the Word, to the everything he wants to do. But that's when Peter would talk about, because if we are going to be renewed in the spirit of our mind, but it's going to be a renewal that's going to be a rightness. There's a rightness in which I feel peace, because I know I'm doing the right thing. And that right spirit is going to come out in right actions. And therefore, as we move, uh, Peter would say, because you are now brought into the kingdom. You, are, you weren't the people of God, Gentile, Ephesians, pagans. You didn't know these things, but now you have been brought into this new relationship and you can proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. If you've never been in darkness for a long time, you don't know how good it is to be in the light. But you've been called out. We all have been called out. And therefore... As uh, uh, Peter would say, you were once not the people of God, but as the people of God, you're bringing in a whole lot of stuff that isn't like the people of God, and therefore you have to be instructed to get rid of those things. And therefore, as 1 Corinthians 2.12 says, we have not received the spirit of the world, but we have received the spirit from God so that we might understand all this thing of the cross, all this thing of the gospel, all this thing of this Pentecost, all this thing of what we really hold at the very core, the Spirit of God will help us understand that. And therefore, we need to be instructed. And that's why that passage in Isaiah was, morning by morning, he awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. God, teach me. I need to know. I'm slow to learn, but you're so patient, isn't he? He is. 
And therefore, as we move into this relationship with the Spirit, there's a new mindset. It's the mind of Christ. And when the Spirit of God comes, He's going to put you in tension because the way you think and the way Christ thinks is just so wonderfully different. But there's a tension like, huh, I don't, that does, I don't know how to blah, blah, blah. And so you, you stumble through, you're awkward through because we need to learn the language of the kingdom, the language of grace, the language of mercy, the language of kindness. And those are the things that Paul is saying to the Ephesians. If you're going to have the spirit involved in helping you integrate, incorporate, become part of the body, and then you're going to be instructed, that's the whole backdrop. And you've got to get this backdrop Again, because if you don't understand, then you are going to hear these words in the wrong spirit. Christians, you can't get angry. Christians, you can't get, you got to be true. You can't lie. Christians, you gotta, you got to put off stealing. Christians, you got to stop that behavior. And if you hear this as a behavioral shift, that's not what I want you to hear. It's not about managing sin because this is not about a sin management kind of church. This is about a transformation where you no longer see sin as the focus. You see Christ as the focus. And that's what I want to say. It's hard to get a hold of this. It really is hard because we've been conditioned so long to look at your behavior and measure yourselves by your performance. This isn't about performance. This is about life. Alive in a, in a fullest measure. And so that's what this whole thing of metanoia means. It's like there's a shift of your perspective. You used to think this way. I don't think this way any longer. I don't think about me being the focus any longer. I'm no longer stuck with the old past haunting me and, and being those dead roosters that we bury and bring back up. We, we, we're made new. This is made new. And therefore, we don't, like I said last week, we don't get to choose the truth, but we get to choose how we respond to the truth. And the Spirit of God will bring in the truth. And that's what we're going to look at today. With an orientation in Christ, we can have new life, an entirely whole new attitude Different than the world, different from the flesh, different from the, the demons that really want to haunt us. We can have a whole new relationship with a focus, not about me, but focus about Him. Thinking about Him. Thinking about pleasing Him. And therefore, C.S. Lewis would talk this way, that there, there's a directional movement you'll see among people. There are some Christians who have become Christians for so long, they've done things for so long, but they start to move away from him. And then they move, even though they move into accommodation and allow things to take over, they forget Christ. They're still Christians, but they forget Christ. They're moving this way, and they get involved with things that they shouldn't get involved with, but they're still called Christians. And so they'll accommodate. But then there are non-Christians who have already accommodated to the world, but they're moving this way, they're moving towards him. And so you have this movement, this idea of this, uh, there's a direction that people are moving either towards Christ or away from Christ. Now keep that in mind as you listen to the passage, because when it comes to the passage that Paul said, do not be angry, 
last week, I said, it's something about that passage that really caught me. And it caught me because, boy, this is new. This is really new. As you think about the years and the times in your life when you've been angry, the way you've responded to anger, was it with the response of the spirit or the response of your flesh? So as he goes into that passage in Mark 3, remember when Jesus went into the temple? And Jesus wanted to, re, like Garland said, to heal on the Sabbath. But the rule keepers were looking at Christ. He better not. He better not. He better not. And he did. There came a man with a withered hand. And he said, Jesus, if you're willing, you could, if you're willing... And Jesus, with compassion, says, I'm willing. I'm so willing that you would not be burdened by the things that I want you to know, the glory of God. And then as he reached out and as he touched him, he said, your sins are forgiven. Be healed. And he healed that man with the withered hand. But as he did that, that story was not just about the healing of the story of the man with the withered hand. There was another Another scenario that there are men with withered hearts. And Jesus looked at those Pharisees. And in Mark 3, 5, he says, he looked at them and he was angry. This is the word. He says he was angry and then he was grieved. Now those two together, I want you to think about, because we're going to talk about this, and I hope I get this across. But Jesus got angry And then he grieved. Now I would suggest there is something here for us that when you look at things that are done wrong and you have been offended and you get angry, the question is, do you grieve? We'll look at this in a minute. But Jesus was angry. Why was he angry? He was angry because there's a blocked goal that the blessing of God wasn't going to be able to get to this man if we follow these fleshly people who said, I'm going to control this. And Jesus knew their hearts and says, you're stopping the very blessing of God. And I want the blessing to go to this man that he's healed. And so the anger was not just against them. It was against the fact that there's something stopping the blessing of God. And that's the part that he got angry. But in Jesus' heart, his anger turned to grief. Now, this is the part that's interesting. Because the grieving, we know, we know what grieving is when it comes to losing our loved ones. Grief, when we lose things, things when we have cherished and all of a sudden they're gone, and it's like, there's a difference here. And the difference is what I'm trying to get to as you think about the word grief. Grieving, here's your Greek. So you know I know a little Greek. He cooks pizza down on me. Uh, the lepeome, it means to make sad, to cause sorrow to, to be uh, causing heaviness to grief. And we know that Jesus was acquainted with grief. He was a man of grief. And therefore, if you are going to grow in grace, you will have to grow and accommodate this idea of you will become a person who grieves. Hmm. This is a little bit difficult. 
because this is the only place where he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> to understand this means this. Grief is, is love's unwillingness to let go. Grief is love. As J. Oswald Sanders said, grief is love's unwillingness to let go. Grief is a love word. Huh. <coughs> grief is a love word. If you love, you grieve. If you grieve, you're in love. But one cannot get angry at an enemy and grieve in anger at the enemy. You don't grieve, you just get angry at the enemies. <coughs> but only one who loves. Excuse me. <coughs> One who loves can be grieved. Because if it's on your heart and you can't let go of that, you will grieve. Now when it says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, <coughs> it's talking about the fact that you can make the Holy Spirit sad. You can make the Holy Spirit sorrowful. The fact that you would have an influence on the Holy Spirit. And there's, there's a need for talking about the Holy Spirit, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, so that we understand he's not just a force like the Jehovah Witness believe, or a spirit in a way that the Mormons would believe. It's the Spirit of Christ. And there's another teaching series that we need. But the fact that he is a person, he has emotions. But here's what I want you to hear. You will not distort or disturb the Spirit of Christ because he's a Holy Spirit. And in and of himself, he's fully aware. You will not change him and who he is because you're not grieving because he is offended He's grieving because you are moving in a way that is unloving. The grief of the Holy Spirit is not because you've offended him. That there's part of that whole scenario. It's like, yes, he does get angry. And yes, he does move in righteous anger. And yes, but the idea when he grieves, he grieves not for himself, that you've hurt his feelings. You've, you've made him upset. It's not that at all. It's like when the Spirit grieves, he's grieving for you. His grieving is for you. Now the idea that God is grieving over our sinfulness when we, when we are saddened. And so the question is, wow, just... When I got into this, I thought, how do the Ephesians understand this? John Newton said that if God said to two angels that I want you to do this, the angels would quickly respond because they want to please God. And so if one angel was sent down to, be, uh, uh, to help a, a governor uh, the, to rule the earth's grandest empire, and the other would go and sweep the streets of the meanest village, it wouldn't make a difference to the angels because what the angels would do is they want to go please the Father and, and, and celebrate the fact that no matter what they would do in the kingdom, it was a good thing because it would please the Father no matter what the assignment would be. Grief is just the opposite. 
I'm not going to do that. So when Jonah went and in opposition to what God wanted, go to Nineveh. He was saddened for Jonah because Jonah would not have the spirit of Christ to talk to the Ninevites about the grace if they would just come back. There's a grieving that the father does when he sees that the whole world is given fully to evil in John 6. And so he was sad that he made men, not just that he was sad, but he was sad for the fact that the men that he made never knew the God who made them. Jesus grieved over Jerusalem because they were unwilling to come to him. And therefore, when the Spirit of God grieves, he doesn't get angry, just angry and he gets sad. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. I've had this experience where you see men who are so hardened and so unloving and so unkind. Have you had this experience? When was the last time you wept over somebody's brokenness? Where it caused you to come to tears? I would submit we don't do that very often. We we are familiar with anger. We are not familiar with this grieving spirit for somebody else. And that's what Jesus Christ did. Fully God and fully man. When Jesus stepped on the scene, he was compassionate. He saw men caught up stuck in their own sinfulness, in their own selfishness, in their own blindness. And Jesus would move concerned, compassionate, grieving. He was a man acquainted with grief. And therefore, when he goes to the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. The idea that you can take anger as a human response, but grief is the filling of the Spirit where you're getting this compassion that comes down because you see men and women are caught up in a darkness that they can't get out of. And therefore the grieving spirit for other people is a loving action. And therefore to understand you put away falsehood because it grieves the Holy Spirit. You put away lying because it grieves the Holy Spirit. You put away stealing because it grieves the Holy Spirit. And then it says, your words. The first thing about the... This is an amazing passage because it says, the, the thing if you understand about the spiritual formation, it's not about rules. It's not about behaviors. It's all about relationships. So how do you know when you think about what does it mean to grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, a lot of people get mystical. Well, it's, I'm, it's me and Jesus. Mm, that's true. That's part of that. But in this context, it's purely relational. It's purely relational. So if you're saying damaging words, you're grieving the Holy Spirit. If you're substituting uh, uh, an angry spirit and that you don't care about what people think about or how you make them feel, you're grieving the Spirit. Because the Spirit's not interested in you keeping the rules. I said this one. He's interested in how you relate. And therefore, if your speech comes out 
abusively. There was an English woman who had a daughter who was going through her first communion. And as she was trying to get this dress to fit on this on her daughter, she was trying to hem and pulling and tugging this material. And finally she said to the daughter, I swear, there's nothing I can do to make you beautiful. That went right into her soul. For the next 35 years, she never thought she was a beautiful woman. Words that go deep into the soul, when you shape, when parents shape and damage things, when you hear things, you'll never be good enough. Boy, I don't think you ever have what it takes, son. You hear these words, or you don't hear the other kind words that you need to hear because people are saying things, judging you. You're not good enough. You're stupid. You're not this. You're not that. And those are the words that destroy. When Paul says, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth, it's like a carp that's been in the sunshine for seven days. It's like, oh, it, you, you remember that. It's like rotten fruit that starts to spoil the rest of the basket. Rotten is the word, but it's the lingering memory of those words that grieve, grieve the spirit. And therefore he says, put those aside. And do not grieve. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. But you deal with this anger in a way that you grieve like the Spirit of God does for the other person's inability to love. Now that's what Paul is saying. To make it a habit that our sensitivity to the Holy Spirit when we're in situations instead of just having a, a clamorous, bitter, angry, when you react, you get what you get. But when you respond, you say, oh, Lord, help me now to respond to this with the spirit of grace because I'm going to react like I always do. Help me to put aside that emotional, impulsive reaction and still my heart. Oh, I don't know if it was Aristotle who said, if you get angry, count to ten. You get very angry, count to a thousand, count to a hundred. Mark Twain says, if you get angry, count to four, and if you don't, cuss. <laughs> that didn't work. But but the idea that if your anger doesn't turn to grief, then you don't have that sensitivity of the spirit. What should I say at this point? And that's what the Paul is saying. I want you Gentiles to learn to. One, put off the old and renew your mind to keep in step with the Spirit so that when you speak, you speak words of grace, you speak words of encouragement, but you speak out of grief because you love this person so much, you speak not just in truth, but you speak in grace. And therefore, if you're not putting off, you're going to grieve the Spirit. And how do you grieve him? Well, if you live like the Gentiles. If you live like the thoughts with the old man, that, that, that's the way you live. That's the way I am. No, no, that's the way you were. You've got a new life coming up. If you're going to have relationships that are going to uh, move in deception and falsehood, that's going to grieve the Spirit. You're trying to be somebody you're not, that's not who you are. But when the Spirit of God comes, you, re you react, instead of in anger, you react in grief. Uh, but if you react just because you just react, 
The Spirit of God is not in control of that. If you ignore the leading and go your own way, if, you bring, <clears throat> if you're being unloving in any fashion, there's something that we need to learn. And therefore, putting people down instead of building people up, the attitudes behind our words. And, and, and Paul says, don't be angry and give the devil an opportunity. What he says is, instead of being angry, give the Spirit of God an opportunity. And let him be angry. But the idea of being sensitive to the Spirit means I have to realize there's something inside of me I don't know a whole lot about. And that's what he's saying. If I'm unwilling to come to Christ to deal with those bad attitudes inside, then I'm going to continue to damage and hurt and create more pain. Well, the consequences then, this is the thing. What happens if a Christian doesn't walk in the Spirit? What happens if a Christian is really going to continue to walk and greed the Spirit? Paul says, yeah, there are consequences. Because if you're not going to be sensitive to him, and you're going to go this way, then you're going to understand that the consequences are, <clears throat> you're not going to lose the Holy Spirit. He's going to stay with you. In the Old Testament, David would pray, don't take your spirit from me. But in the New Testament, the spirit never leaves. He comes to indwell within you. And therefore, if the spirit is going to leave, uh, live within you while you go this way, he's going to grieve the fact that you are still moving in unloving ways. But he doesn't leave you. He never leaves you. And that's why he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit in whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He's going to stay there until you go home. But the problem is there are consequences. And one of the things is you begin to walk in the wilderness for 40 years, just like Israel did. And you will not understand you'll be in the same place for 40 years. Whatever, however long it takes you to get out of that 40-year that habit, you will be stuck in your own selfishness. And you'll be stuck. And so he wants to take you out of that. And we lose, and here's the part, we lose our sensitivity to the Spirit of God moving in our lives. Now that's a scary thing. Because there was a time in, in the Old Testament where the Jews were doing the worship service and the Spirit of God left the worship service and they did not know it. He says, I'm tired of all your singing. I'm tired of all this stuff. I don't care what you say. I'm out of here. And the Spirit of God left. And they didn't know it. This insensitivity to the Spirit is a consequence of going our own way. The Spirit of God stops his work inside. And he waits. He suffers. As a father waiting for the prodigal son to come back, he suffers. He grieves. Well, they're doing their thing without the Spirit. He suffers. And therefore, we, we know that when the Spirit of God cannot work because he's been blocked or stopped when we walk away from him, but we're utterly dependent upon him. We need him because apart from him we can do nothing, Jesus said. And yet to walk without him, we try on our own resources to make it work. And it doesn't work. We know that when we get what we want, it's not what we want. And therefore, joy dries up. There's something inside the Spirit. There's nothing there that really does anything for us anymore. Church just gets boring. And joy is gone. 
And we may go for years, literally years, with a dried up spirit, seeing all the right knowledge, but there's nothing coming out of the heart. And therefore we lose our discernment, we lose our blessing, we lose our wisdom, we lose the power, and our weaknesses get stronger. There are consequences when you walk away from Christ as a Christian. But we remain immature, and we remain unaware of just the whole wonders of grace. Well, the response then, it says don't grieve. But if you get to that point of grief, you realize there's an emptiness inside. Chapter 5 talks about being filled with the Spirit. But the idea of, that's in chapter 5, but the idea of, of, of the fact that we come to Christ and we have to make this intentional step to align ourselves with the Spirit of God. So we say to him, uh, Lord, I, I really want your Spirit to come in. That's being, being born again. If you're a Christian, the Spirit of God is there. And therefore, as we move, we ask him to show us those things that are hurtful on the inside. And as he shows us, he will give grief and grace. For grief leads to grace. Get that. You can't have grace apart from that. But as we turn to him and we say, God created in us a clean heart. And that's what the Spirit of God will do. As we ask him to do that, then we look at these relationships. Well, there's a lot there, a whole lot more there. But that's what the attitude of Christ is. Look at your relationships. And therefore, as you struggle with me with this passage, to learn that God grieves for you, wants you to learn and love, but he won't let go of you. He won't let go. So let's pray. Father, there's so much here. The fact that we would sadden you and not even know about it is a scary proposition. But we just say, Father, uh, we need you. So don't stop. Don't stop loving us. Keep doing what you do until we grow in Christ's grace. And we love you for that. But give us the wisdom of the word. Make these a reality for us in Jesus' name. Amen.